Coming to you from Strings and Things Studio in Ventura, California, this is the Strings Unraveled Book Club. And we are recording again. Well, not again, because this is the first book club we've done via Skype. But our last episode we did um, of our regular podcast, we recorded via Skype. So if we sound a little different than our normal book clubs, that is why we're all distancing ourselves from each other still. Um, And we were supposed to take a break from books. (laughs) And we decided to uh, go see the movie Emma instead which then we didn't go see before we couldn't because then you know movie theaters were closed so we decided to do the book emma instead by jane austen so that is what we are going to talk about today um did you guys read it or listen to it or i did both um i started with the book and then i uh lost you know ran out of time and went to the audio Uh uh-huh Started with the book, but I always do better with audio. But then the whole li- living a whole new life in with everybody home sort of broke up my routine, and so I took Anne's trick. Wait, wait, about- let me say it. Let me okay. say. It. So it's really Katie's trick. Oh, Katie's trick. Well, listening to it faster. Oh yeah. It wasn't boring, but um. I listened to it at 1.75. Oh. <laughs> which then turns it into like Oscar Wilde quality dialogue. Like they're the- always angry. They're always passionate. <laughs> Everything they said is loud. That seems very <laughs> difficult with this book because I had such a hard time like remembering Mr. and Mrs. and Miss and Miss Mrs. And it was like, okay, I had to pause it and think, who are we talking about right now? <laughs> um I listened to it. I listened to the um, dramatized version. Um, I, I think we listened all to the same version. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also saw the movie. Um, you because did we rented too? it. Yeah. We, I rented well, it. We saw it like a month ago, like right when the oh. uh, social distancing thing happened. I watched it with my mom, and then just this afternoon, I rewatched it to refresh my memory. So. Did you have to rent it the second time? Yeah, I think we rented it twice because I thought we bought it, but then we didn't end up buying it. We had to and anyway. I have not. I didn't seen know it. that buying was an option. I would own it. That I like that. I watched it this week. Yeah. As I, kind of a cri- crib notes for. I'm sorry. Then I went back to finish the book. I'm sorry. Uh, I thought this was a book club again. It is a book club. I'm not going to talk about the movie. <laughs> no, no. You but I needed motivation to listen to it. My, I wish I could have listened at 1.75, but my options were 1.5 or 2. Oh. And if you try to listen to them at 2, it's like listening to the chipmunks. Yeah. Way too fast. So I'm, I got a Kindle, and I'm new to the Kindle. Was that on your Kindle, or was it on? Because I listened to Audible I on my I listened to the Kindle on my phone. Oh, that's weird. Mm-hmm. I could adjust it at anywhere. Like, I'm thinking about just listening to all things at 1.25 now, because it's not that different. But I yeah. got 25% more done. <laughs> it also depends on the narrator. Like, some people do read slower. Mm-hmm. Like, Grapes of Wrath, I listen to a lot faster. Because <laughs> then I would, like, switch back to the whatever, like, standard was just to see. I'm like, how? 
could I listen to the slowest man in the world? (laughs) I really think that the reader of that book did justice to the way that the people of that region talk. I definitely Um, think so. I also think he sounded just like Henry, uh, Henry Fonda. Yes. Fonda. Thank you. I, they both start with F O, but (laughs) I have a tendency to say Henry Ford and (laughs) that was not him. Anyway, Mm -hmm. Anyway, okay, I have a quick synopsis here that I'm going to read about the book. And then I found some, there were lots of book club questions for this uh, book. So I picked some that looked good to me. Anyway, okay, so this is Emma. It says, Emma Woodhouse has the world at her fingertips. She's young, pretty, and smart. She also happens to be the reigning queen of her village's social scene. Emma lives in Highbury a small town about 16 miles outside of London with her aging father, Mr. Woodhouse with her aging father, excuse me, Mr. Woodhouse loves Emma, but he's utterly unable to offer her any guidance, which is perhaps why Emma doesn't seem to have any sense of her own limitations. Life is pretty sweet, if a bit boring. And so Emma decides to spice things up by taking on a protege, Harriet Smith. Even though Emma's, Determined never to marry herself, she immediately decides to find Harriet a husband. Determined to make Harriet, sorry, determined to make Harriet into a gentlewoman, Emma sets out to refine Harriet's tastes, especially in men. She convinces Harriet to dump Robert Martin, the young father far, farmer who likes her, and sets her heights on the town's clergyman, Mr. Elton. Unfortunately, Mr. Elton turns out to be in love with Emma, or at least, hold on. Or at least with Emma's money. After the Mr. Elton debacle, Emma thinks that she's learned her lessons in matchmaking. <laughs> Luckily for us, not for Harriet. <clears throat> when the dashing Frank Churchill comes to town, Emma tries very hard to fall in love with him herself. She can't seem to fall head over heels for him, but she does manage to make a good deal of mischief by flirting with him in front of Jane Fairfax, a young woman who recently returned to Highbury to live with her aunts. Meanwhile, Emma decides that Frank might be the perfect new man for Harriet. Emma's exploits are watched and commented upon by her good friend, Mr. Knightley. Although Emma frequently ignores his advice, she cherishes cherishes his good opinion. When Mr. Knightley accused her of belittling her poor neighbors, Emma begins to reflect upon her mistakes and even starts to change her ways. Unfortunately, Harriet confesses that she loves Mr. Knightley, not Frank. All of a sudden, Emma's plans crumble. She realizes that she loves Mr. Knightley, too. (laughs) Convinced that Mr. Knightley might be interested in Harriet, despite the fact that he practically lives with the Woodhouses, Emma crushes Mr. Knightley's attempts to propose to her. Eventually, all romantic muddles are cleared. Emma marries Mr. Knightley. Harriet marries her farmer, Robert Martin. Emma's story is surrounded by the side narratives of life in Highbury, including the romance of Frank and Jane Fairfax, the marriage of Emma's former governess, Mrs. Weston, and the escapades of the social climbers, Mr. and Mrs. Elton. So there were longer synopses that went much more in depth into everything because there are I a think lot that of. That one pretty much describes them, gives you a real. That was a really good synopsis because it tells you, it really described the characters in ways that. Yeah. I, I can see, but I didn't quite have spelled out for me. Yeah, if you want more, read the book. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So I wanted to start with this question that I found. 
It says, Austin makes an unusual choice by, because I was thinking about this a lot today, by selecting her as Emma as her main character, the most privileged woman in the book, the woman with little distress or vex. The Jane Fairfax storyline has much more traditional elements of tension and drama than Emma's story. Austin's own publisher traitorously said of Emma, it wants indecent and romance. Do you agree? Do you think you would rather have read about Jane? I was also thinking that I think Harriet could also be the subject. Like there's three different stories here. I think you could tell Mm -hmm. it from Harriet's perspective. You could tell it from Jane's perspective. And then Emma's like totally the villain. If you're telling it from Jane's perspective, (laughs) You guys keep saying that Emma, you wanted to snack Emma. I don't see what your problems with Emma are. Yeah. She's very knowledgeable. She mm-hmm. wants to help people. Uh, okay, she's a, but she's a, a royal Budinsky who, who doesn't think she's wrong. No. I don't see your problem, girls. <laughs> this other question says... Are you identifying? <laughs> I might be taking a tact to bait you both. Yeah. Um, this says about Emma Jane Austen famously said I'm going to take a heroine whom no one but myself will much like so did you like Emma it's refreshing because if you read a lot of Austen it's not quite formulaic but because she writes what she knows like she's really writing her of her times she's writing Uh about the women who she's around and has seen her whole life um so Emma is refreshing, if you yeah. think of the cast of characters. And if you want Jane Fair- Fairfax, you can read Pemberley. If you want Harriet, I mean, I don't know, maybe Sense and Sensibility. Like, you can One find, that- you don't find Emma as a yeah. fully fleshed out character anywhere else, but you can find the other True. two archetypes True. throughout. Well, and you could find the archetype of Emma in probably... And most of People's most theory. of Jane Austen's writing was satire. It was she was a, a female satirist who was poking fun of the social systems that were there, you know, gently and and stuff that she could relate to. Um, there are while it's not a formula, there's definitely a style in the way she develops her characters that I could see as we discuss. We'll discuss it more late, later on in the, as in the book discussion. But I noticed the character development, like, yes, I really wanted to smack Emma in the beginning. And in the end, I just wanted to hit her like, a little less, but I kind of liked her. You like her because you know she's young and naive, and you're like, yeah. she's cute. You know what she's doing. And it's like you, you, you just want to say, she's so 18, right? Just, she. Yeah, you want to say, she's just, she's such a teenager. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, she's she's a she's a a well aged woman, isn't she in her twenties? Yeah, probably. That doesn't mean that she's mature. <laughs> um, I think I think okay, I, not, it, not mature is not the right word. Interesting. That's an interesting thing for you to say, Karen, because I get frustrated by listening to our contemporaries all the time talking about like that person's thirty two. What are they doing running a dot dot dot? Or that person is. 36 why they're just a baby what are they doing with themselves or that person's 25 oh my goodness you know it's not about age it's It's not about the age number it's about life experience ages you differently 
But I think that that's the, po- what the point I'm making is that mm-hmm. you like look at the context of her time. Like she's very close to becoming the spinster aunt. Right. That talks about mm-hmm. being tempted to be. But she, doesn't she care. was capable. Of, only reason why she was capable of doing that is because her father, she was in a household where she had, she didn't have a mother type. I mean, other than her nanny friend, her father gave made allowances in the way that many fathers in Jane Austen books make allowances for their daughters. Um, what's in- interesting is like her, uh, that's more of her obtuseness is she's not even like, she's happy to have the privilege and run the household that mm-hmm. like she says that she has more ability to run the household mm-hmm. than any, you know, woman right. bride would. Um, but when she talks to Harriet about what a good plan, what, how she's comfortable being the spinster aunt, she looks at, at um, Jane Fairchild's aunt. Oh, yeah. And she's like, she's, it's fine. Fairfax, thank you. Yeah. It's fine. Like, look at how what great her, her niece comes and takes care of her. It's great. Yeah, but then later on, but then the way she treats her later well, and the way she... Does she really she's want to be the person child. that doesn't? Huh? I said she's a petulant child. <laughs> she well, is. That, yeah, that and like, I mean, the Jane's aunts or aunt and grandmother are not like living well. No. no. They're living hand to mouth trying to have a, um, you know, semblance of um, like grace to their life. Um, Teasing with my mom today saying that I'm going to grow up to be Jane Fairfax's aunt and just be so excited when my niece comes oh, to visit me. I got a letter today. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about the letter and then I will read the letter to you. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. good um, See, I, 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 I really liked Jane. I liked Jane, but then I kind of could understand why Jane was always so quiet about things, why she's so private. Because you know, she's does she doesn't have means. She is poor. She's her circumstances is because she's gonna go live with her her aunt, but she doesn't have good circumstances. But I also I think that neighbor she, I get the sense that in that neighborhood, I don't know. Maybe she never really got along with Emma, rightfully so. But see, Jane Jane is the cardboard character here. We only yeah. know Jane through pe- other people's expression about her. We know Jane. No, about her at all. Yeah, we, none of her inner. Well, life. you can cut. You can make a an, an image of what she's like through the collage of other people's opinions. Yeah. Is that a fair representation? Like I. Well, <laughs> you get a little bit of this person, a little bit of that person, and you get a little because they don't all think the same. You different people have different opinions of her. Yeah. Uh, Actually, outwardly, they're all the same because Frank, even in his effort to keep his Frank, uh, his um, secret Raj going, yeah. yeah. Um, he's, he's a cat. He's no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't want to choose him, but it was a game they were playing for the public's sake. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah well, he played. He played that game with Emma a little too much. <laughs> but she's no fool. Like, for I some reason. I, I think she let her, I, I think she let herself be fooled. She 
made up remember how she had made up story she didn't know him but she'd already made up stories and an image of his character before he ever came into the neighborhood i don't think she was being foolish i think what the synopsis said that she tried really hard to fall in love with him because she had this vision of him like this is if I'm gonna marry somebody, it's gonna be this guy. From everything I've heard about him, he is the one like the perfect man. She, she's fooling herself, not anybody else, you know, True. Into thinking that this is the she's gonna try really hard to get with Frank, and that's why I think he took the opportunity to flirt with her so much is because he saw like she likes me, you know. Why not? This is a good distraction. I definitely like the literary um I like the literary portrayal of Emma much better than any film portrayals I've seen of her. Like, though I've not seen the most recent movie, Gwyneth Paltrow's portrayal in the 90s was like... I've not seen that one. I haven't seen it. Very grating. Mm-hmm. I can't well, think of Gwyneth character. Paltrow. But that's before she annoyed me in her, pers- like in her business <laughs> and personal life. Um the guy who played Mr. Knightley, I can't come up with his name right now, but I think his portrayal was on point in that film because I did not get that Mr. Knightley liked her. Mm-hmm. Like, that came out of the blue, as in the movie you went and watched right after, Katie. Yes, I know. It does come <laughs> out of the blue. You're like, Paul Rudd, what are you doing? <laughs> um I was this close to watching Clueless today, but I ran out of time. <laughs> I Well, I was thinking about you having mentioned running to go see Clueless after finishing the audiobook. And so I had kind of fun in my head imagining those actors really portraying uh-huh. the as opposed to like a more modern. Um, I think the habit. difference between Emma and Cher is that Cher is like a genuinely nice person. And Emma's only out for herself and her, like, society. Like, I think Cher just ends up being popular because she's pretty and also she's nice to everybody. Mm -hmm. Emma is there for her, you know, because of her situation. But, yeah, I don't think that that's a fair um, uh, portrayal of Emma. One for one. They definitely softened her up some. Yeah. I Uh, didn't see the one from the 90s with Gwyneth Paltrow. But I felt that the recent movie, compared to the book, she was pretty accurately portrayed in the new movie. I thought so. I would agree with that. She's annoying, but you also kind of like her. But you're also really annoyed by her. <laughs> um, one of these she can't help. Whether, whether it's the movie or the book, she can't help herself. It is her character. No. She is she to give in to whatever whim she has because you get the sense that in her whole life she's never had to have she's never really had to exercise self restriction other than what society you know puts as a level that everybody has to exercise. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times she for her to she, you know, she how many times does she swear she's not going to do this anymore? And then before the thoughts done getting out you know out of her lips. She's already thinking, who else am I going to set up? Mm-hmm. Well, um, she's bored. She's yeah. like a real housewife. Yeah. Without the man. <laughs> no, um, this could be fair with her carpet work. What? Somewhere in there, she says that no, if she ends up, um, you know, being stuck at home with her dad, she'd be very content with her carpet work. Oh yeah. Oh, doing tapestries and. Probably rug hooking. Yeah. 
Okay. <clears throat> that is, I, I, I mean, there's not a lot of mention of needlework in this one. <laughs> yeah. They don't really have a lot of time. They're too busy running other people's lives. <laughs> okay. Next question. Um, right. So this says, um, uh, class issues run through every plot line in the book. How would you describe, oh, wait, hold on. I skipped to the wrong question. Okay, sorry. Um, early in the book, Emma tells Harriet she does not plan to marry, but the other women all embody in one way or another the serious economic consequences of staying single as a woman. The book is filled with women at risk. Discuss this with reference to Miss Bates, which we already sort of did. She's the spinster aunt. Um, Jane Fairfax, Mrs. Elton. Her oh, Mrs. Elton is my favorite. Um <laughs> <laughs> this is Smith and Miss Taylor. The book, the movie portrayal of Miss Elton, you just want to punch her in the face. She's so obnoxious. Oh. She she makes me love Emma. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Mr. Elton, oh my gosh, the two of them together, it's like, oh, they're so oh, I annoying. Know. I feel I kind of feel sorry for the poor man. Anytime he starts to speak up, she's like, oh no, honey, you have no thoughts. <laughs> Don't you think that's fair for Mr. Elton to get someone like her, though? Definitely. Th that's who he needs. Yeah. he He's the kind of guy who needs <laughs> someone to tell him what to do. Someone else to. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, his self, like his approximation, self-approximation of his value mm -hmm. is like way up here. I love, right. was it Mr. Knightley who says, like, I, I don't think that Harriet's the right match because... When he's with other men, he's really clear that he wants to marry us. Yeah. He <laughs> says that to Emma, and Emma's like, well, yeah. thank you so much for enlightening me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's interesting to think if he thinks of Emma so highly and, like, is in love with her, mostly for her money. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that was my favorite part to, like, remember the... the um, equal events in Clueless, where the... I can't remember that actor's name. Mm. Like, so fake <laughs> and he's I, I just kept picturing the rose picture or something like doesn't he she take a picture with um oh that's um yeah 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 um I don't remember that guy's name I don't think he's done much since teen movies <laughs> no I don't think so either <laughs> but anyway like the obnoxiousness of his you know bobbing bobbing over yeah her is revolting um so this goes into this other question um two characters mrs elton and frank churchill come to highbury from the outside world and threaten the little community with change mr knightley likes neither of them how do you feel about either of them <laughs> well frank he's such an uncertain character because he's such a mysterious figure mm -hmm. for so much of the book like so much of an idea like like when she convinced herself she was in love I was thinking she convinced herself she was in love with the idea of him like not yeah. him right so he's this idea of mystery and uncertainty and then he turns out to be like okay like yeah. we, we don't know what he's about he likes his his stepmom mm -hmm. he is sweet to um Emma, we don't find anything, like, objectionable about him until he arrives at the garden party all sweaty and hot. Yeah. Like, not, he's lovely until then. Yeah. And then, you know, we and find... Jake gets mad and leaves. Yeah. yeah. 
Didn't uh, she describe? Didn't she describe him? Because he was like she was trying to figure out whether she liked him or not, and liked that he's he is nice, but he's kind of irreverent. His humor is kind of irreverent mm-hmm. sometimes, and it kind of breaks up the monotony of everyday village life. Which is kind of exciting to hear. So it's like the first, like, like when the little kid hears, hears someone else say a bad word, it's exciting. But, you know, yeah. they're not going to say it themselves. I think that Mrs. Elton, like, she is a really good element to show how, um, like, thing, like, she won't be a force for change because... Like, when she is at her worst, and she and her husband are being, I think, being the worst Mm -hmm. um, by snubbing Harriet at the dance, like, Mr. Knightley comes in and is the hero. Mr. Knightley is the only one that puts them in their place. Because she tries to invite other people to his, to the, to the vicarage, to, like, or whatever the place is to go on the garden party and he's like no I can invite my own guests and she's like no really I'll do it it's fine and he's like the only woman who's allowed to invite guests there is basically his mother she didn't he like he tells her like no no, no. His future wife his oh future right. wife yeah yeah, yeah. yeah future wife. whoever she might be yes exactly uh, I like that Which he's the only one that can see- like, completely see through yeah. both of them uh Mrs. He Ellen call- and he has no problem calling French people out. from the beginning yeah Okay, and I was like, so, why do you have such a bad opinion about Frank? You don't even know him. How old is Mr. Knightley? Because from the beginning of the book, I got the idea that he's not as old as her dad, but but definitely older than she is. 16 years older than her. Because yeah. At some point, they talk about him. He says, I'm 16 years your senior. Oh, yeah. She's 21 but, years old, so he's 37. But maybe that's why he feels capable of saying, hey, straighten up. That was mean. Or, oh, yeah. no, he, he's not going to be, he's old enough to, he's his own man, for sure. And he acts enough, he's so much a part of the family, he acts enough like her brother that he can tell her, mm-hmm. you know, this and that. And it's dealt with a lot better in the book than it is in Clueless, because then you're like, why are you kissing your brother? <laughs> Step brother didn't come together. Doesn't matter. Are we talking about okay? Are we talking about the movie Clueless from the nineties? Yeah. I never <laughs> made that connection that that was Emma. Oh yeah, it's very. It's like, um, watch it tomorrow, and you'll see it's so I will. About you, Miss Taming of the Shrew. I think it's the same director. Yeah. Who made okay. the other one? And there's another one too. I don't remember what the other like Shakespeare. Ten things I hate about you. Yeah. Right. If Clueless the yeah. musical comes to no. to LA, I I want to watch it. <laughs> Ten things. Okay. Ten things I hate about you is one of my like mm-hmm. in that category top five favorite movies. Oh, it's so good. It's um and in both movies, two stars dead before their time. Mhm. I can't think of her name. So in Clueless, the girl who plays Harriet's Brittany equal, Murphy. Brittany Murphy. Brittany. Yeah. She's so cute in that movie oh, with her sure. red hair. Oh, I love her so much. Yes. She and plays I have to watch that then. And then yeah. I'll be sad. Well, not, you know, watched it before, 
and been like, this is a fun movie. It's like completely satire. And you're like, this is funny. And now that you've like read Emma and you're more like experienced with this story, you have to watch it. And you're like, oh, that's so-and-so and that's so-and-so. And it's very fun to watch. Um, I love, I could never think of his name because um, he's only Turk from Scrubs for me. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the two of them. So now I get that they're the Mr. and Mrs. Weston. Yeah. Competition. With his and, little braces, he's so cute. <laughs> he is the cutest. Yeah. He's in a new show called um, Emergence. I think it's an ABC show. Have you guys seen it? Uh-uh. It's very cool. Oh, it's a sci-fi kind of show? Yeah. And he's I think like I did see it. The sweetest, cutest, like he always is. Uh, Donald Faison. Yeah, that's Donald. Yeah. Yep. Anyway. Um... Let me get back to my questions. Okay. One effect of the hidden Jane Fairfax slash Frank Churchill story is to undermine the omniscience of the narrator. Some critics suggest that the narrator controls the reader less in Emma than in most Jane Austen books. Because of this, I don't know who Reginald Farrar is, um, has suggested that the book only improves upon rereading. Only when the story has been thoroughly assimilated can the infinite delights and subtleties of the workmanship begin to be appreciated? Um, hold on. Da, 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 da. Where did it go? He suggests that rereading Pride and Prejudice allows you to repeat the pleasure you had the first reading, but rereading Emma always provides new pleasures. He also says that until you know the story, you are apt to find the movement dense and slow and obscure, difficult to follow, and not very obviously worth the following. Do you agree with any of this? Yes. The whole time you're reading the question, I'm yes, 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 yes. Because, I mean, even in, like, I've never read this one, Mm -hmm. um, but I've watched one movie version and then one, you know, retelling or reimagining of it. And it's definitely richer. Because, like, Mm -hmm. I I didn't know what Clueless was based on because I definitely saw Clueless before the other. I was like, oh, isn't this a cute movie? And then I saw the Miss Paltrow Emma, and I was like, this is like Clueless. (laughs) (laughs) I think I know which one came first, though. So so that was fun, but I didn't understand who each one was, because I think I was still a little shell-shocked from hooking up with your stepbrother. Yep. Uh, (laughs) And then this time, I could see all of the the matchups clearer. Uh Uh-huh. And it was definitely fun to know who's who and who's gonna who's gonna work out with who and yeah. Mm -hmm. I would agree that the first time reading it because I had seen Clueless obviously, but it's been a while, so I knew it was based on that. But it wasn't super fresh in my mind that I could remember exactly what was gonna happen. And also, it's different enough that it's not always one to one. Yeah. Um, and I did, I, I do agree with whoever that man is that was saying those things that it, I did feel sort of bogged down in while I was reading it for the first time, because it's like, I don't, there's so much going on and I don't understand like why all this is happening because it's true that they keep you in the dark for most of it. And then all of a sudden you have this reveal that Jane Fairfax and Frank are together and it's like a secret engagement and whatever and then it all sort of falls into place that I could totally see that now I want to reread it and just enjoy it so much because I know what's going to happen but I do feel like I was kind of bogged down when I read it the first time like 
this is a lot of things happening. <laughs> um, yeah, that that's a delightful thing to know that that I'd have as much fun, if not more, coming back to it. Like, I yeah. think Austin, and that's why it keeps getting revisited in book clubs and in, um, and in film, because it is so, there's such delightful characters to get to know. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. um, hang on while I look for a new question. I want to come back to the economic um, peril that all the women are in. Okay. Like, that is something, I mean, it's true throughout history that women often find themselves reliant on the successes and choices of their their husbands mm-hmm. or significant others or or have anyone seen, go ahead sorry have you seen the new little women because amy yeah. has a amy has a perfect dialogue about this where she's talking about how marriage is an economic um prospect for women mm-hmm. and it's not for men but she goes into a perfectly saying like if you're trying to tell me that at this that you know, it's not like money has nothing to do with my prospects in marriage. Like that's totally false because you're not a woman and you don't understand what it could mean for me and my family if I don't marry somebody that's wealthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think for Emma, she's not concerned with being married because she's already wealthy and well off and, you know, has plenty of money. And But for people like um, Harriet and Jane, who don't have those privileges you know Harriet I don't think Harriet goes into it thinking she deserves a whole lot and she doesn't end up with a whole lot except that she's the she's the example of somebody who marries for love and not for money and she had a false peril anyway I think that at the end don't they say that like that her father is someone who's going to support her the rest of her life anyway yeah but I think wasn't he not like a gentleman at the end of it no he was a tradesman so he was more she got like what she yeah um she ended up marrying her same kind anyway right but you're actually was the point of that i see besides Mm -hmm. economics um i actually bookmarked something in my kindle about the differences between what life for a man and life for a woman was like um there was one section where she's talking to mr knightley she says, no, says Emma laughing. Perhaps there might be some made to his coming back again. Such language for a young man entirely dependent to use. I thought the ability to speak your mind and to even the, the, um, nobody but you, Mr. Knightley, would imagine it possible. But you have not an idea of what is requisite in situations directly opposite to your own. But it made me also think upon, um, um, what a woman could say and what a man could say also because then he's he responds later on depend upon it, emma a sensible man would find no d- oh when he's talking about um she's she's making excuses for for why he she's saying that there's lots of reasons why he may not be able to come back um and he's and he's basically saying any man of any worth can do whatever he wants and I just that just really struck me as interesting because it because he was talking about a man of sense would make it in a proper manner would do him more good raise him higher fix his interests stronger with the people he depended on than all of all that a line of shifts and expedients can ever do respect would be added to affection 
They would feel that they could trust him, that the nephew who had done rightly by his father would do rightly by them. He's saying that if he really wanted to, all these excuses for not coming would, you know, he's just making excuses. But I just was struck by the idea that um, a, a man had the, then had, he could make his excuses. A woman couldn't. You know, yeah. socially, a woman really didn't have that power. So. Um, hang on, I lost my place again. Example, though. Like, that one was more, the, the like, the opposite of you was not about what a woman could say or not. It was the perception of whether or not Frank had the freedom to move without his mother, his adoptive mother dictating what he did. True. But, and I think I went to the wrong bookmark. <laughs> it's part of it. But it reminded it, me. There are like these two quotes in, in an Emma and Mr. Knightley exchange that were so perceptive, but I was listening to it too fast. <laughs> it just whizzed right by me and I didn't catch it. God, that's life. That's life advice. So hopefully I find it next time. <laughs> I started just hitting bookmark. If I have the time to stop and pause it, and try to actually highlight on my candle. I've been doing that. So. Um, this question says. <clears throat> class issues run through every plot line in Emma. How would you describe Mr. Knightley's views on class and privilege? Harriet Smith is quote. The natural daughter of nobody knows whom. In fact her illegitimacy which fact, her illegitimacy or her undetermined class standing is more important in reflecting her marital prospects. How do you feel about Emma's hopes to see Harriet married above her expectations? How does Emma's relationship to Harriet change over the course of the book? I think Harriet's an interesting character that I want to, like, flush out a little bit more. Because mm -hmm. you feel really bad for her. Because yeah. you know exactly what Emma's doing. And you know how much she likes um whatever his name is the farmer um uh -huh. can't remember what his name is but it's not fred is it i uh oh i think it is fred could be i'm gonna i'm gonna look up farmer am i robert martin robert martin robert martin fred martin robert martin whatever you didn't look at his middle name yeah, true. Sure. So, I don't know if he gave it, but. <laughs> Let me check my version. You guys <laughs> um, like Harriet wants so hard to try and, you know, be uh, like to be thought well in the eyes of Emma. And I don't know if it's just Emma herself or that she cares about her opinion or people like Emma like her class that she mm -hmm. cares about their opinion. It seems to me like she really only cares about Emma liking yeah. her. Yeah. You know, is a big personality. Right. She feels, she, she kind feels, of is an Oprah. She sort of dominates the room. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's sad to watch her listen to Emma so intently. And I love the scene when she gets, the letter from Robert Martin about his proposal and she is trying to ask Emma, should I say yes or no? 
But Emma's operating under the assumption that she's going to, like, of course she would say no. But, like, and this happens a lot in the book where you, like, the two, and especially with Harry and Emma, the two characters are talking about something, and you know they're talking about two opposite things. Like, <laughs> when she's in love with Mr. Knightley, but Holy Emma thinks she's him. in love with Frank, and it's, like, frustrating to watch, but you know that she cares so much about what Emma thinks that she's like, wait, you think I should refuse him? And Emma's like, yeah, duh. But I'm not telling you what to do. But, but I would yeah. never tell you what to do, you know. <laughs> I would never give you my opinion on the subject, but. <laughs> I mean, but if here you, it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I might be forced to tell you anyway. <laughs> yeah. But since you asked. I mean, you did ask. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I. I, I mean, don't. Class, Mr. Knightley is there to preserve the classes, the classism. Are we supposed to like Mr. Knightley? <sighs> well, he's classic, actually. He, like, if you lined him up side by side with uh, Mr. Darcy, you're mm-hmm. going to get, yeah. I mean, a, a, a slightly less deep Mr. Darcy. Because Mr. Darcy likes things the way they are. He, um... Quiet and private. He's about business. He wants to act people to act properly. Um, he's so tightly confined by how pe- people acting properly. Um, so he's a classic. Like there's there's not a lot of depth to Mr. Knightley. He's kind of the MacGuffin of the book. Like mm-hmm. like um, what is it? The ego and the id. Like which one's the serious one? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I think it's the id. So he's kind of the id. And she is the ego. <laughs> well, that would make sense. Because definitely the two <laughs> characters balance each other well. Uh-huh. And maybe he's even the killjoy of the book. Because he's always like, yeah. no, no, that's not how things work. Let me show you the reality of the situation. Yeah. He's, he's a little mansplainy. Yes, he's very <laughs> mansplainy. Yeah. Um, is that pretty much of the time, though? But oh, yeah. I, I mean, if you recognize that she's a woman of intelligence, yeah, he's And that's an interesting thing. Karen, can you say that again? Because you were cutting out. I couldn't hear what you said. Oh. Uh, I said, uh, he recognizes that she is a woman of intelligence. In she used blind spot letters socially. Um, and so I think he respects intelligence, but also feels like he needs to correct. So to keep her from becoming a Mrs. Ellen in the future, he feel and that's what I was thinking, that he tries to correct her. He calls her out. Karen, I can't. You're, like, real... And is she skippy for you? Yeah. Can, yeah, I... Now you're kind of frozen. I'm not, I'm not... Am I moving? You're not moving, and I can barely hear you. Okay. Oh, my God. Bill Nye's Mr. Woodhouse in... It's uh, so <laughs> good. His character's the best. He's so I good. I love him. 
I've you will that. He's so funny. Because Miranda Hart's in it. Oh my god. As soon as I leave, I'm watching it. Uh, <laughs> I am not sure about that question of like, should were we ever supposed to like Mr. Knightley? Because if it weren't um Paul Red, and I meant to look at who <laughs> the older Mr. Knightley. Mm-hmm. Because he was pretty cute and charming. The guy in the new movie is not that cute. No. He Jeremy really needs, he needs a serious haircut and he would look okay, but he's not cute. He's not convincingly cute in the new movie. So, but uh, I, I think he's not supposed to. I think he's not supposed to be the handsome And the Frank Churchill is the handsome one, supposedly. Well, um, Frank Churchill's not that cute in the new movie either. <laughs> Jeremy Northam, who is still a very handsome man, but he was real hot at this time. And then Paul Rudd. Um, wait, which Mr. Knightley? Oh, there you go. John Knightley. Anyway, they're very hot. And yeah. it's hard to like them. So, Except for Paul Rudd, it's really hard not to like him. Yeah, so that's the thing, is, like, Jeremy Northam, gorgeous. Paul Rudd can do no wrong. Exactly. Like, even, I watched him in this one movie that was such a head trip. It had um, Alexander Skarsgård and um, Paul Rudd, and Paul Rudd played a straight-out villain. Mm. And weird. I wanted him to win. Like, I really did. So cute. He'd just smile and <laughs> cute blue eyes. Are you still there, Karen? I think we've lost you. I'm here. No, I'm here. Karen, can, can you, like, l- can you leave and then come back in? Karen, can you leave? <laughs> I'm trying to think of a way to say that. I wonder if, like, your kids are streaming something or something. I- I can't leave. I, oh, I guess. How do I leave? Um, hold on. I can, I can kick you out. Oh, she gone. The old Mr. Elton is perfect. It's Alan Cummings. And that is exactly the way I Oh, would. that's, that is good. Yeah. The Mr. Elton yeah. in the new movie is so obnoxious. Well, good. As and like, say. creepy. Are you guys not not yet anyway. I can it's clear on my end. That's better. Okay. I can see you. Say something. Blah blah blah. No. <laughs> okay. Um repeat the last thing you said because you guys were laughing and I missed the joke. Um Mr. Elton in the new movie is creepy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, in the 90s, when it, it's, what? In the 90s, when it's Alan Cummings and he's perfect. He's, like that imprinted on my brain that that is. Yeah, uh, that is a really good representation of him. Oh, I can see that. Cummings was Mr. Elton? Yeah. In oh. the older one. Apparently, I have to answer that. It's okay, because, you know, it starts Gwyneth Paltrow, and I'm not a fan. 
Um, okay. Um, does anybody have any last remarks or uh, anything else they want to say about it? Hi, everyone. Sorry to cut in here, but we were losing connection with Karen via Skype. So I had her call me on my cell phone and record the audio off of that. So we apologize if it sounds a little worse. If it's hard to hear Karen, um, it's only for uh, just a few minutes here at the end. And again, apologize for the bad audio, but doing the best we can. <laughs> Thanks. I really enjoyed this movie book. I think it'll be fun when things are normal again for us to go to a movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about you, Karen? One of the things I like about Jane Austen is the the, the male and female are always protagonists, and they always have, have come together in the end. Mm-hmm. So, it's, so it's typical of what I love about Jane Austen. I was not disappointed. Good. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought the characters were both fun to like and also hate. And I'm excited to read it again because I watched it again and that was fun, you know, knowing what was going to happen. And then, like you said, you see the sort of intricacies of the writing in how it would be more apparent in the book in how she sort of um, misdirects you in different directions and keeps information from you in order to keep you in the dark. So knowing that now I'm excited to read it again. But I thought it was fun. It's also not a really long book. I don't remember how long the the Audible was. Nine, nine and a half hours or something. I don't think it was very much abridged because I started and read the first like five or six chapters. And except for the parts where they pause to truly exchange dialogue, mm-hmm. I think all that's missing is the Emma said and Mr. Knightley said. And he I said, didn't feel like I missed out on anything. How many hours did she say yours was? Nine. Nine, nine and a half. Mine's Oh, I don't know what you were listening to. Yeah, I listened to the um, to the one with um, Emma Thompson as the main narrator. Yeah, I think that's one. Um, I can't imagine that I'm getting that much, but that's why it's taking me so long to get through it. Huh. Yeah, ours wasn't that long. Anyway. Maybe. Yeah. Um, okay. But do you guys have any book recommendations since we last met that you did on your own? I have not read anything on my own. I thought I would get so much reading done and I haven't. So no. Um, so I read the only book we should all be reading or listening to right now because it's the true telling of what we're living through. Uh-oh. In like late February, early March, people started talking about... Um, did you guys hear that there was a Dean Koontz book that talks about a virus from Wu- from the Wuhan area in um, China? I was like, no. Yes, it was written in 1981, and it's all about this vi- this virus coming from China. It, it mentions it, but it's not necessarily about it. It's not about it at all. <laughs> it's a romance it? novel. There is a light... Men, there's like a, a mention of it at the very end when you're getting like the whole final exposition. What it's, is it? It's called <laughs> <laughs> The Eyes of Darkness. And it's uh, it's by Dean Koontz. It was originally published under his um, pseudonym, I think Lee Childs. Uh, and kind of like um, another book we did, I think my favorite part was the epilogue. 
where he it was a fun book and I enjoyed it and I've never read any Dean Koontz and it's the light read like light fun thriller reading um but he talks about them trying to turn it into a tv movie (laughs) think about when it was written 1981 it is 38 years old (laughs) it is not the foretelling of the thing that we're living globally of COVID-19 um but it was weird that this book existed in 1981. Okay, so we talked about what our next book club choice is going to be. And even though it was my suggestion to see Emma the movie, it didn't really count as a real suggestion. We decided since things got weird and it ended up being a book anyway. So I get to pick the next one. Um, (laughs) And I chose a book called Daisy Jones and the Six um, by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Um, I was reading to Anne and Karen sort of like a little synopsis. It's about, um, it says, everyone knows Daisy Jones and the Six. The band's album Aurora came to define the rock and roll era of the late 70s, and an entire generation of girls wanted to grow up to be Daisy, but no one knows the reason behind the group split on the night of their final concert at the Chicago Stadium in July of 1979. So it's about coming to age um, in L.A., like Sunset Strip in the late 60s, and this woman and her band's um, rise to fame, and sex, drugs, and rock and roll, basically, I think is uh, a main theme of the book. But it looked interesting, and I think it came out not too long ago. Um, I don't, I'm trying to see if when it was published. I think it might have been published last year. Am I the only one who was alive when this happened? Uh, yep. <laughs> Uh, it was published March 5th, 2019, so it's only a year old. Um, so that's what we've decided to read slash listen or whatever for the next episode, which will be out next month. So you got a month to listen or read um, Daisy Jones, and um, we'll do this again next month. All right. That well, was good. good to see you guys. I miss yep. you. Yeah, I hope everybody who's listening's home and safe and doing well, and we will talk to you again next month. Who knows if we'll do it in person or like this again. We'll see, we'll see what happens. All right. All right. Bye, everybody. Happy reading.